Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Um, our gospel reading today, like last week, is another one of the great I am statements of Jesus. Uh, now, whenever Jesus delivers an I am statement, it's never for the sake of the title itself. If you recall last week, I am the good shepherd. That's all that was left there. It would be, okay, so what? You know? But it's, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And today it's no different. I am the vine, you are the branches. And here's the catch for all of us New Yorkers. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I find this particular statement, this I am statement, to be extremely powerful in illustrating three things. One, who is God? Two, who are you? And then three, how God actually, in the midst of life, forms us as Christians until he comes again. Our gospel reading begins with Jesus saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. The image of the vine would have been a very familiar image to the disciples, and indeed all of Israel for that matter. The vine historically represented the nation of Israel. The temple in the city of Jerusalem was adorned with a giant gold vine around the top, and its structures held these golden fruit. The first century uh, uh, the, uh, historian Josephus, when commenting specifically on that part of the temple, said it was a marvel in both size and artistry. An image of the vine actually adorned the back of temple money. And uh, New Testament scholar Rod uh, Whitaker once said that, um, that actually the vine was the symbol by which the nation of Israel was under when they uh, led their revolt against the Romans in 66 to 70 AD. So Israel very much saw themselves as the vine. Now, the use of this image, where does it come from? It comes from the Old Testament. You know, the psalmists speak of Israel as the vine. However, the image actually finds its theological roots and its meaning in the uh, prophets. Specifically, you find a lot about this in Jeremiah and uh, Isaiah. And what I find so interesting about this is that when, when you actually hear the prophets speak about this, Israel is the vine, it is never, ever in the positive, is it? The prayer, the prophet Jeremiah, when speaking, when God's speaking through him to the nation of Israel, he says in chapter 2, verse 21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, a completely faithful seed, and how you have turned yourself before me into degenerate shoots of a foreign vine. The prophet Isaiah and what is famously known as the Song of the Vineyard, states that God, the gardener, cared for the vine, but the vineyard produced sour grapes. Yet here, in the upper room, on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion and death, Jesus takes the image of the vine and he applies it to himself. I am the vine, 
and my Father is the vine dresser. Do not miss what Jesus is doing here, because it's extremely provocative, to say the least. When Jesus refers to himself as the true vine, he is hearkening to the prophets of Israel to signal a contrast between himself and Israel. The true vine versus the one that is wild and has only produced sour grapes. And this is my first point. By saying that he is the true vine, Jesus is making the claim that he is the true Israel. And this is a theme that runs throughout John's gospel and in Matthew's gospel. The I am statements and the other metaphors. Jesus says, you know, it's, um, you know Jesus says, you know, I am the Passover. No, John the Baptist points to him and says, behold the Lamb of God, which now is, he is the true Passover Lamb. And what you begin to see is that Jesus in his life, everything, actually his substance, his very being, gives validity and gives truth to the meaning found in the Old Testament in his finished work for us. Without that, the Old Testament is just some open-ended thing. Jesus is the true Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus tells the Pharisees, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days, referencing himself Jesus is the true bread in the desert. You remember what he says to those people? He's like, you guys, your ancestors all ate bread in the desert that fell from heaven and they still died. But I am the true bread and those who feed on me, though they die, they will yet live. And here Jesus is making the claim that he is the true Israel. All of it is in me. As we say in our liturgy, by him and with him and in him, Israel's unique place in salvation history has now been fulfilled by the Messiah, has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. No longer, and this is the very provocative part, and it's extremely significant because, you know, when we talk about the kingdom of God, people like to talk about it as this abstraction, you know, And somehow we're going to all usher it in and we might invite Jesus to the party when we finally get it together. You know, but but what God's, the kingdom of God is all about is it's about God's people in God's place under God's reign. And what's being said here is that is all achieved in me. As the prophet Isaiah says, which we say, we read during Christmas, you know, out of the stump of Jesse will come a shoot. One person. One person. This is very powerful because Israel is the theocracy, which was identified by race and land, has now been reduced to this one man, the true vine. And his branches will be women and men from every tribe, tongue, and nation, you and me, as St. Paul writes in Romans 11, who have been grafted into the vine by the vine dresser. So Jesus as the vine is an extremely powerful illustration. But equally as powerful is the father as the vine dresser. 
that he grafts us into this living vine through baptism. And if you know anything about horticulture, and I really don't at all, I just read it on the internet last night, so it must be true. But uh, <laughs> I was like thinking, I was like, I have to say that because, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a green thumb. But anyway, um, but in order to have a successful graft, according to the internet, um, the branches must be living. And this is what's fascinating, is that God actually broke all of the rules in the case of this horticulture with all of us. I mean, before God, prior to your baptism, you weren't just having a bad hair day. You were dead. Like, you were dead. That's why I, I want people to know whenever we baptize someone, this isn't cute. This is the dead actually coming to life. As St. Paul says in Ephesians, you who were dead in your trespasses and sin. God has had the crazy audacity to take dead branches, you and I, and graft them into this living vine, Jesus. And with you and me, a miracle has happened. Because these dead branches have been brought back to life. And this grafting into the living vine, as I said, it took place when you were baptized and you were given a promise from God. And for some of you, that grafting took place when you were a child or a baby. And for others, it took place when you were an adult. But irregardless of the moment, what happens next, what we call life, is the difficult part. However, keeping with the horticultural analogy, Jesus calls it pruning. In horticulture, pruning is, an impo- is important because the branches left unattended. I mean, have you ever seen a vineyard that hasn't been taken care of? A fruit tree that's been, that has not been cut back? Wild branches, while they can make something look big and monstrous, they're actually useless. They produce no fruit. There are actually, if it goes too unkept too long, there are dead branches found within them. And left unattended, they die. I saw the importance of pruning firsthand when um, growing up in the southwest corner of Arizona where I grew up. And my neighborhood was surrounded by huge orange groves. And these groves would just go on for miles what seemed to be miles and as a kid we'd ride our bikes over there and play through them and throw oranges at each other which the farmers were thrilled about but um but after citrus season what would happen is that they would come in and they would prune back those trees to what appeared to be absolutely nothing but a few branches and a gnarled old trunk And I remember thinking to myself, the first time I really noticed it, and I wondered, the pruners did a terrible job. Like, did those guys know what they were doing? I mean, I remember when I was in seminary, there would be, like, we would be in chapel, and people would piously pray, prune us, Lord, prune us. And uh, I remember... uh, (laughs) I remember the bishop of South Carolina at the time, the retired bishop Fitzsimmons Allison said, would you stop praying that if trees could scream? Because the truth is, is that if you're a Christian, you're going to get pruned. 
You are being pruned. But I looked at those trees the first time and I said, did the pruner know what he was doing? Would those trees ever have leaves again, let alone fruit? But every spring came back. Nevertheless, in the same way, the vine dresser throughout our life, God our Father, and remember that, God our Father, because he loves us. He prunes us of our idols. He prunes us of our sin. And sometimes when you're in the midst of it and those shears are hitting you, it can be incredibly rough. Life is and can be extremely painful especially when you find yourself, whether you know it or not, going through the pruning process. And in the midst of the pruning, in the midst of life, sometimes we even wonder, where the heck is God? What in your name are you doing to me? Is God even present? You want to scream to this heavenly pruner, why have you forsaken me? Maybe that's how you feel about your life right now. You're just a few branches in a gnarled old trunk. Your life hurts. And it hurts so bad. Because oftentimes, and it hurts because oftentimes the things that are being pruned by God, the idols of our lives, our identities, our status, our claims, whatever it is, those things that are pruned by God, it hurts because they are so often, and I'm talking about me now, they hurt because so often it's what I trust in and I love more than him. You see, my instinct is to be comfortable when God actually longs for me to be comforted by him. Our instinct is to be happy and I just, I just want to be happy. I'm not happy right now. When God wants you to be fruitful and produce fruit that lasts. And this is my second point. Hardship in life. Hear me on this. Hardship in your life is not the sign of God's absence. But rather, as the cross demonstrates, sometimes hardship and loss, suffering, is oftentimes a sign of God's real presence in your midst. As God the Father, our Father, the vine dresser, lovingly and graciously prunes away the idols and the dead branches of our lives in order to conform us or to carry out Jesus' illustration here in order to prune us into the image of his Son to bring about real and everlasting fruit, fruit that will never fade away. Now, outside of Calvary, I don't know if you noticed this, but on Easter Sunday we do this well, actually, it's not me at all. It's my wife and a few of the wonderful ladies of the parish. I just watch. But they, um, they take branches and they bind them together and they make this beautiful branch chain that they hang out around the sign of Calvary. 
And the truth is, and we put that out on Easter Sunday, and the truth is, for the first couple of weeks, they continue to bloom around the sign, and it's so beautiful, and they're watered by the rain. But nevertheless, because they have actually been separated from the living vine, they begin to wilt and eventually dry up and die as they are right now. Take a look outside. We've been a little busy around here. I kind of feel like we've been in the suburbs with the people with the Christmas lights still out on June. But uh, that's definitely coming down on Monday. But anyway, but providentially God has worked it into an illustration here. But those things are dead because they're apart from the vine. But this is an important illustration. I want you to remember this because in the midst of the pruning process, when you've been just cut down to a nub... What can happen is that mistakenly, you can fool yourself into thinking and be deceived into believing that you're actually one of those dead branches. One of the things that can run through our mind, one of the things that the devil can accuse us of or tempt us, is the notion and the accusation that in the pruning process, maybe you're not a Christian. And nothing could be further from the truth. And I want to share with you now Jesus' promise delivered to you today in our gospel reading. And I want to deliver it to you because we all need hope that while our life may look and feel like that five-week-old floral arrangement out there hanging from the sign, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. In our gospel reading, Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples. He's not speaking to everybody. He's not speaking to the crowd. He's speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to you today. And hear what he says in his word. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Notice that past tense. Abide in me as I abide in you. And let me say how it all works out again. When you were baptized, the Father grafted you into this vine called Jesus so that by the Holy Spirit you would receive the gift of faith which unites you to Christ. And in that union, you receive all that God has in store for you, all of his forgiveness, all of his eternal life, all of his love, to see you through this age and this pruning process into the age that is to come. St. John teaches us this in in our epistle. You are not love, but you are loved. God is love, and you are loved by him. And love flows from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, to you, his branches, who are alive now in Christ, and you bear much fruit in service of your neighbor. And let me just clarify something for you, because here gets to be a confusing part. So often our minds can read that abide part, and we want to go, aha, here's my part. You know, but that's not the case. Abiding is not about proving something in this context. Abiding is about being. Jesus doesn't say that you bear much fruit and prove you're my disciples. No, he says, and this is a huge difference, he says, bear much fruit and be my disciples. Branches, we just produce fruit. 
But apart from the vine, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We just bear fruit. And it simply shows itself for what it is. And by the fruit it produces. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, this love of God has flown and is flowing right through you. And it has produced in the parish of Calvary St. George's incredibly beautiful and healthy branches. It's produced through this ministry, Mockingbird, which we just hosted. Fruit. Fruit. In you and in me, but especially in you. 30, 60, and 100 fold. And it is an honor to be your priest and pastor. But if you've ever doubted that you are bearing fruit, think again. Think again. And this is my third point, and I'll wrap up with this. To abide in Christ is to hold on to all of his promises given to you in the gospel and just be. God's promises given to us in the gospel. Your sins are forgiven. You are justified. I will never leave you or forsake you, and I will raise you up on the last day. That is the fertilizer that becomes the anchor to see you through the pruning process. That becomes, that becomes the word so that you do abide. Never forget, you have been cleansed by the word, and to abide in Christ is to confess that when you are grafted into Christ through the waters of baptism, a true and an organic union took place that God initiated, and he's not about to let you have the final say. And now he continues as you abide to call you around this table where we will be nourished with the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood. And despite ourselves oftentimes, and even though you may never see it, you're going to produce and you are producing us fruit because the Holy Spirit makes us fruitful. And goshly, there's a lot of fruit in this church. And praise God, we still have many seasons of harvest ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.